0: Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. Today, I'm so excited because we are starting a brand new sermon series that we're calling Baby Monsters. Baby Monsters. And here's the big idea of this series, go ahead and write this down. If we can stop things in their infancy, they will never reach maturity. That's the whole idea of this series, that if we can stop some things in their infancy, they will never reach maturity. See, because I've learned that all big things start out small, that all big monsters, that they start out as baby monsters. And how many of you know that it's so much easier to stop something when it's small? How many of you know it's easier to stop a habit when it's small, it's, 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 it's easier to, to just, it's easier to stop things when they're small. So what we wanna do is we wanna stop these baby monsters before they grow and they turn into big and nasty monsters that have the potential to destroy our lives. So in this series, I'm excited because we're going to be taking a look at some people in the Bible who experienced some big, destructive monsters. But instead of like focusing in on those small, like on those really big, nasty, destructive monsters, we're going to focus on what got them there. Like what baby monsters did they have in their lives that went unchecked and undealt with, that grew and then led to these big monsters. And so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 4. Guys, I had to duct tape my Bible. My Bible is in some rough shape. My QB1 is what I call this, and uh, but I had to duct tape it. But we're, we're going to get through this, okay? So Genesis chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Maybe a familiar story to some of you. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve. They got it on, and she became pregnant. ha <laughs> It says this, when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I love this, I have produced a man. It says in verse two, later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. He was a farmer. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the lord and abel also brought a gift the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock and the lord accepted abel and his his gift but he did not accept cain and his gift and maybe you're asking why like why why did god accept his abels but not Cain's? well it actually says this let me see, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse four, get this, it says this, it says, by an act of faith, by an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, not what he brought that made the difference. That's what God noticed and approved as righteous. See, we got to understand that God, he accepted Abel's gift because it was that gift was by faith. Because if you read through, it says that Cain he brought some of his crops, but it says that Abel he brought his first and his best. It says that he brought his first and his best. How many of you know that when you give the first, it takes faith. So that, that's that, that's why tithing is so important. Because tithing is not just giving ten percent; it's giving the first ten percent. Because when you give first. It takes a whole lot of faith. When you give what's left at the end, that takes no faith whatsoever. And the Bible says that that God, that he accepted Abel's, but he didn't really accept Cain's. Now listen to what it says. It says in verse 5, it says, this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. And why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. And this next sentence is very interesting to me. This is what God says. God says, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Here's my question to you this morning. Why is sin crouching? Let me just... Proposed to you this morning that sin is crouching because it wants to seem smaller than it really is. See, I've heard it said that sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer there than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Because sin, it's crouching. It's trying to make itself seem small like a baby monster. And listen to what he says. He says, but you must subdue it and be its master. It goes on to say in verse 8, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know. Cain responded, am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me, from the ground, now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which was which has swallowed your brother's blood. It's just encouraging text here today. Uh, verse twelve it says, "No longer will the ground yield good crops to you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth." That escalated quickly. So today, while David is playing beautiful keys right here beside me, if you're taking notes. I want you to write down this message title because I want to talk about the baby monster of comparison. I want to talk for the next few minutes about the baby monster of comparison. Let's pray. God, we don't want to mess around today. We want to hear from you. So God, we we set aside all distractions. I pray that today is a distraction-free environment, not just here at Memorial Hall, but in every home where people are joining us right now. Gotta pray for a distraction-free environment. Help us to hear you and walk away different than when we walked in. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus. It's through Jesus we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. Now, how many of you, just by show of hands, uh, have at least one sibling? You have at least one brother or one sister with your hand raised there at home, to Put it in the chat. How many of you have ever fought? with that brother or sister, come on, how many of you have ever had a fight, how many of you fought a lot with your brother and your sisters, kind of put both hands up in the air, and um, so I have, I have one older sister, her name is Leslie, I know some of you know her, and um, we used to fight a little bit back in the day, believe it or not, um, I feel like 95% of those fights came in the car, um, uh, we, let me give you a little context because we actually grew up in the middle of nowhere. My dad's job came with a house that was in the middle of 22,000 acres of Tennessee state-owned land. And our house was right in the middle of that 22,000 acres. Three-mile gravel road existed just to get to that house, which meant that we were in the car a whole lot as a family. It took about 30 minutes to drive everywhere. I'm talking about school church, friends' houses, grocery store, gas stations. It took about 30 minutes there and back. So that meant we spent a lot of time in the car, which meant we would get in some fights every now and then in the car. Now, I'll just admit, the majority of those fights were my fault uh, because admittedly I'm an excellent world-class button pusher. I don't know if we got some button pushers that are in here, uh, but man, I'm elite at it and I have been for a very long time and uh, I have the spiritual gift of pushing buttons and uh, the people that know me well are like, yes you do. Uh, I'm not telling a lie here and um, so I, I would just, just for fun, I would just push my sister's buttons. And uh, so during these fights, my sister's go-to move uh, was to dramatically scream, bloody murder. Like she was trying to win Best Actress at the Academy Awards anytime I touched her. I mean, like the, the slightest touch would just scream, ow! And then that would immediately grab the attention of my parents. They would look in the rear view mirror with the scowl eyes you know that that we sometimes see sometimes I see it on your face with these masks when I'm preaching it's like you don't like what I'm saying you just can't get that look it's like that so we would see that they would kind of mess with the rear view mirror to make sure that they could see us they kind of pull it down a little bit and then they would say, Brian Ross Cromer and by the way, I just want to give just the, the non-parents in the room just a little parenting tip. You guys write this down. Um, is that um, you know, whenever you use the full name, you can't bust it out all the time. But when you use the full name, it's to let your kids know that you're very serious. And so there'd be a Brian Ross Cromer. They'd be like, look at me. Look at me. They say, Do- stop it. Do not touch your sister which meant that I would, like a good son, I would, I would obey. But it also meant that I would come as close as humanly possible to touching my sister, but not touching my sister. And she would say, Dad, Mom, Brian, I said, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And that's it's good times, good times, good times. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, we see two siblings, two brothers, Cain and Abel, who take fighting to a whole nother level. And their story, it tragically ends with these big monsters of murder, of rage, a fractured, broken family. But it started with the baby monster of comparison. It all started with Cain comparing himself to Abel. It all started with Cain comparing his offering to Abel's offering. And comparing God's response to his offering to God's response to Abel and his offering. And let's be honest, every single one of us that is joining us today, every single one of us, we've all struggled with comparison. Don't polish your halo and act like you've never had a comparison problem. In fact, just by show of hands, how many of you have ever struggled with comparing yourself to another person? Now, um, what I found is that now, like, it is so easy to compare. Like, I know that I have. I know that I've compared. Like, I remember, get this, I thought about this this week. I remember being at a pastor's conference, listening to another pastor preach and talk about comparison, thinking, sitting there in my seat thinking, why can't I preach like him? And the truth is, it's never been easier to compare in the history of the world because of something called social media. Now we don't even have to be around people to compare ourselves to other people because you can get on social media and see their picture-perfect life when your life feels like a complete dumpster fire. Like you can see their perfect put together, teeth brushed, clothes on, hair brushed, family and marriage and kids that look nothing like your family and marriage and kids. You see there Chip and Joanna Gaines farmhouse style living room while you're scrolling and refreshing from the same crusty smelly futon that you've had since college. You see them going on their second vacation when you can't even afford to go on one. And you're going to throw your phone if you see another picture of their feet overlooking a beach with a book. It's like, I hate your beach, I hate your book, and I hate your feet. Quit posting that. So you see their job and Their house, their car, their hair, their body type, their friends, how they're spending their time, their whatever. And it looks so much better than what your life is. It's like you never knew how unhappy you were until you saw how happy they were. Listen, I've got news for you, church. That's not the whole story. You're not seeing the whole story. You're comparing your normal, everyday life to their highlight reel. Listen, nobody's life is as good as their Instagram or Facebook feed. Come on, can I get a good amen up in church? I'm preaching good right now. Nobody's life is that good. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. And if it is, I promise you the water bill is higher. But it's so easy. I don't know about you, it is so easy to trick ourselves into thinking that comparison is not that big of a deal. In fact, Listen to the dictionary.com definition of comparison. It is the act of examining two or more objects, ideas, people, etc. In order to note similarities and differences. See, when I read that, I'm like, that's not not that big of a deal, right? Like, that just is so easy to think, that's not that bad. Like, how dangerous can that be? We're just looking at some things, a couple things, just noticing similarities and differences. Like, that can't be that bad. Listen, that's what baby monsters do. And make no mistake about it, comparison is a baby monster that if left unchecked and undealt with can grow and destroy your life. Now, for the rest of our time today, I want to share just two thoughts on this idea of comparison. And I just want to share two things. The root of comparison and the result of comparison. So here's the first one, the root of comparison. The root of comparison. If you want to know what's happening deep down at the root, under the surface, whenever we are all comparing, if you want to know what's happening under the surface, it's this, comparison, it makes you either feel inferior, less than, or superior, better than. So every single time you compare yourself to someone else, it either makes you feel inferior. It makes you feel less than the person that you're comparing yourself to. Or it makes you, on the other hand, feel superior. It makes you feel better than that person. And listen, neither honors God. Neither is God's plan for your life. In John 10, 10, when Jesus says, I've got a more and better life for you, I promise you, it doesn't involve you feeling either inferior or superior to another human being. Like, neither is part of God's plan for your life. And let me just say it another way. Let me just call it what it is. I'm a big believer, and let's just call this what it is. At its root, comparison, it produces insecurity or pride. That's every single time that we compare ourselves to somebody, those are, that, that's at the root. That's what's happening on the inside. It either produces insecurity or pride. So when you're insecure, when you don't have a stable footing, when you, you don't feel secure, Matthew chapter 7, verse 26 and 27, it says like you're a person that builds a house, like your life on sand, So like, if you think about sand, it's it's always shifting. There's not security in it, that there's no security in sand. And it says if you build your life that way, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. But on the other hand, when you're prideful, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says that pride, it leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall. So, when you put them both together, if you put both those texts together about insecurity and pride, don't miss this. Both insecurity and pride will destroy your life. And we see this in Cain and Abel's story. That when Cain compared Abel's offering to his offering, and when he compared God's response to Abel to God's response to him, he felt inferior. When he compared he felt in fear. He felt less than his brother Abel. And that comparison, it produced insecurity inside of him that snowballed into anger, into jealousy, into envy, into rage, and eventually murder. But it all started with the root of comparison. And then, number two, we see the result of comparison the result of comparison. And so, here's what, I, here's what we need to understand today. That if we refuse to deal with comparison, if we refuse to get rid of that baby monster, if we let it grow and mature, the result of that comparison will be the same as Cain and Abel. And here's what that is. The result of comparison is that comparison kills. Comparison, if unchecked, undealt with, will grow and it will kill. Comparison kills. In fact, I believe the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. So comparison, if you want to know this, comparison will kill your contentment. That what you have, what God has blessed you with, Out of all the things that he could give us, all the things that he asks us to steward, the influences, the finances, the relationships, our family, our jobs, the businesses that we run, our customers that we get to have, all the things that God has given us, that whenever we start to compare, all of a sudden it's not good enough. Because comparison will kill your contentment. Comparison will kill your relationships and your friendships. I promise you, if you want to destroy a friendship, just keep comparing your life to them. And eventually it will. And you want to know the test of comparison? This is free. The test of comparison is what do you do when, some, when something good happens to somebody else? That will show you if you are struggling with comparison or not. And so it will, comparison, it will kill your relationships, your friendship, it will kill your future. It will kill your calling. I'm telling you, the fastest way to kill your calling is to compare yours to somebody else's. Yeah, but they get to do that. And God's using them this way. Yeah, I'm telling you, if you do that, it will kill your personal calling. Comparison will kill your peace. It will kill your joy. Back in the day, Theodore Roosevelt, he said this. He said, comparison is the thief of joy. That comparison is the thief of joy. So comparison steals and comparison kills. That sounds a whole lot like the enemy's job description in John 10.10, where it says the thief, the enemy, Satan, you want to know his job and what he's trying to do in your life? He comes only to steal and to kill and destroy everything good in your life and get this church. One of his biggest, most used weapons he uses to do it is comparison. Why? Because he knows the result of comparison. And that's what comparison kills. So the question is today, what do we do? What do we do if we're struggling with comparison if right now you're sitting there and you're listening to this whether you're at home you're in this room and right now you're saying okay will you get up all out of my kitchen because I feel like you're talking just to me because right now I am owned by comparison everywhere I look everything I do I even sat in church today and I looked and I saw somebody with their hand raised thinking why can't I be close to God like that and right now what do we do if right now we are being owned by comparison and constantly comparing yourself to others. Let me show you a beautiful scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, I love this, The race marked out for us. Listen, church, there is a race that is marked out just for you. There is a race that is marked out just for you. You have a race that is different than my race, and I can't win your race, and you can't win my race. Nobody can run your race but you. And it says, let us run with perseverance. Don't quit. Don't give up. Run with perseverance. The race that is uniquely marked out for you. How, how, how? How can I actually do that? And it tells us, by fixing our eyes on Jesus fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter on faith. You want to know how to run your race? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Not on him, not on her, not on your coworker, not on your sibling, not on that other business, not on what you see on social media. No, we run our race by fixing our eyes, locking our eyes on Jesus. And so I'm going to fix my eyes on the one who loved me so much that he came down from heaven as me. I'm gonna fix my eyes on the person that loved me so much to die for me and to pay my bill, something that I could not do on my own and forgive my sins and close the gap between me and God so that I can have a perfect forever relationship with God here on planet earth and for eternity. I'm gonna fix my eyes on him. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. See, for some of you, I believe with all my heart you love Jesus, but your eyes are always on people. Like, you love Jesus. You've given your life to Jesus. But we've gotten in a habit of feeding this baby monster. And so instead of keeping our eyes on the one that we love, our eyes are on other people. And it's so easy to love Jesus, but have our eyes always on other people. What do they think? Do they like me? Do I fit in with them? Why don't I get those opportunities? Why isn't my business blessed like that? Why, I, why am I not getting the promotion? Why am I not getting invited to that? And her eyes are on other people. Write down this truth. Being obsessed with what people think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. Being obsessed—I say it again because that was good. I need to hear some amens on that. We need to marinate on this one a little bit. We just need to sit in on this one. Think about it. Being obsessed with what people think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. Listen, it's really hard to run your race if you're constantly looking at everybody else's race. Did you know in track, they teach you that the fastest way to lose a race is to look around? It actually slows you way down. Is that whenever you're running in track that you don't look over to the other lanes. You just stay in your lane and you keep your eyes set forward. Because if you start to look around, it actually slows you way down. So fix your eyes on Jesus, church, and run your race. Now, a few years ago, our family uh, was at a wedding. And at this wedding, I was actually officiating this wedding. And my oldest son, Jordan, uh, who's now nine, this was a few years ago, uh, he was actually the ring bearer. Uh, That was very intentional that I said that. Not the ring bearer. He was the ring bearer. He was convinced that that's what he was. That was his role to play in this wedding. We are, by the grace of God, he did not come down that aisle roaring at everybody. But it was a a very dear, it was people we love with all our heart. And uh, had the privilege of being able to officiate this wedding. And Jordan was a part of it as as the ring bearer. And he was, I'm telling you, he was coached up. We coached him up. We talked him through it. He was ready to go. He was fired up. He was all raised, prayed up, fasted. He got ready for that assignment. He was ready to go. <laughs> and then, five minutes before the ceremony literally, five minutes, right before minutes before it started the, the pre music was playing and it was beautiful. And five minutes before the start of the wedding, Jordan tripped and he fell. And he scraped his leg like really, 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 really bad, and it was um, like right by his socks and shoes, so that every single step, every movement that he made with that leg, he could feel it, and it hurt. I mean, it was it wasn't just a little scrape; it was a very bad scrape. And this happened five minutes before, and he guys, he lost it. He lost it. Uh, We tried to do everything we could to calm him down, but he was crying. He was weeping. And I think really deep down, I think that he was worried. I think he was embarrassed about how he was going to look. And he was about to go in front. He could see all the people that were sitting, waiting for the wedding to start. And I think he was worried about like what other people would think about him. And Right before, you know how a lot of times a guy who's officiating the wedding has to go out first with the groom. So I was first up. And so right before, I'm talking about 30 seconds before I walked with the groom to start the ceremony, I bent down, I looked at him right in the eyes, and I said, buddy, look at me, look at me. And he looked at me with his tear-filled eyes, and I said, hey, buddy, I know you're hurting. I know you're hurting. I know that that hurt, but you can do this. You can do this. Listen, here's the deal. I'm going to be right at the front of there. You can see it. You see right by that cross. I'm going to be right there at the front. And here's all you have to do. Buddy, here's all you have to do. You just have to hold that Bible. He was supposed to hold a Bible. I said, All you got to do is hold that Bible, fix your eyes on your dad. Just look at me. Don't worry about anything else. Don't look at anybody else. Don't worry about what else is happening in the crowd. Just fix your eyes on your dad and then just walk directly to me. Fix your eyes on your dad, hold your Bible and walk directly to me. Fix your eyes on your dad. Walk towards your dad and hold that Bible tight. The truth is, that's what a picture of all our lives should look like. Come on, fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus. Quit looking around at everybody else's race. Quit looking at what's going on everywhere else. Quit looking to your left and to your right. Stop comparing yourself to that family. It's okay if they got pregnant and you're still waiting. It's okay if they got their healing and you're still waiting. It's okay, like stop comparing. Fix your eyes, don't fix your eyes on them. Don't fix your eyes on your social media feed. Fix your eyes on Jesus, even when you've fallen, even when you've gotten scraped, even when you've been hurt, even when you've been beat up by life, even when you made mistakes this week. Man, even if you made mistakes yesterday, fix your eyes on Jesus and run your race. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and, We do this every single week at our church, and I just want to encourage you right here, right now, to just ask God right there, wherever you are in your spiritual journey. I encourage you to pray this right from your seat. Just ask God, God, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking to me today? Maybe ask Him this What does my response need to be to this message? Just ask Him, ask God for a next step. And maybe you're here and you've been battling with comparison. You've been owned by it. You love Jesus, but your eyes are always on people. And today, you need to make a fresh commitment to fix your eyes on Jesus and to run your race. Come on, if that's you, we just slip your hand up in the air and say, that's me, that's me, that's me. I need to fix my eyes on Jesus and I need to run my race. I've been, I've been kind of owned by this. It's great. It's great you put your hands down. Maybe you're here and you want to fix your eyes on Jesus and you want to run your race, but you've never actually said yes to Jesus. You've never given him your life. Or maybe you did at one point, but then you've went back and you've went. And right now you're not following Jesus. And today we want to give you the chance to make the most important decision of your life. The decision to start or restart your relationship with Jesus. And we're not gonna point you out, make you come forward, embarrass you in any way. That if you're here in the room, I'm gonna ask you on the count of three to raise your hand. But also if you're at home and you're watching online, I think it's so important to take a step of faith. That's why we ask people to do this because everybody's eyes are closed. But we're asking you to raise your hand and say in humility, Today I'm choosing to follow Jesus, to start or to restart a relationship with Him. And so if you're here and that's you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer, but I want to know who I'm praying for today. So if you're here and that's you on the count of three, raise your hand. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus. I need to give Him my life. If that's you for the first time or it's all over again on the count of three, put your hand up in the air. One, two, three. you, raise your hand. Raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. That's amazing. 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 You can put your hands down and just pray something like this in your heart. Pray it. Just, just mean it. Everything you have. Say, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I need you. I'm sorry that I've lived my life without you. Will you come live inside me and change me? And will you make me brand new? I surrender everything to you my past I give it to you my present I give it to you my future I give it to you I surrender my whole life to you and today I choose to follow you we are so thankful for Jesus we fix our eyes on Jesus and God give us the ability to run only our race the race you've marked out for us We love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's through Jesus we pray and everybody said amen. Come on, with everything you have, come on, let's celebrate and let's thank God for the people. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at Queen City People.